0: So welcome everyone to uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, <laughs> special time of year as we enter into the holiday season. And uh, you know this uh, this is like my favorite time of the year personally, just because you know what I like to eat. Um, nothing more than that, uh, but I also like the fellowship, you know. And so this is the time of the year for. Uh, Me and my family, we look forward to gathering with uh, friends who are family, you know, people who um, have been in our lives for a while. Um, You know, Patty's got uh, roommates from college when they were, you know, 18, 19 years old um, that are still in her life. I don't necessarily have people in my life that long because I was, you know, military brat raised, Um, but it's really neat to see um and, and experience those times where we all come together uh, friends and family and so this is that time of year and you know along with those times also comes you know the catch up and opportunities to not just appreciate the joys but you know the struggles as well um and an opportunity to see people who you know we may have kept in prayer for many many years um and just how god continues to pursue with his relentless love and, and where they may be in that process uh, you know, and even though I know, you know, the people who we love and who we really have a heart for uh, sometimes can can cause us some consternation in the ways that they may sort of persist or in the ways that they may not be yielded to the Lord in, in aspects of their character. Uh, and, and we sort of know that, hey, if, if they would just sort of yield to, to the Lord, um, God has wonderful things in store for them. But you know what? They, they persist in their struggle. Uh, you know, we can just hold faith that God doesn't give up god doesn't give up on them right and so you know take heart and take peace you know for those of us who over the next week or weeks will be seeing family and friends um it's an opportunity for us to truly be authentic to be the hands of christ you know in in their lives but also to continue to lift them up in prayer um, as people lift us up in prayer because none of us are done yet so god is gracious in those ways we don't need to lose heart so we'll be looking today um in our scripture um at at a character who who did his own running from the lord in and god was in hot pursuit um and this is the character of jonah so we started off last week by an introduction to jonah um and, and we wanted to continue with jonah because in order to understand you know why somebody might uh, be on the run from the Lord, why they might you know, clearly receive a word from God and instruction, and then do the exact opposite in order to not actually comply with what God wants us to do, it's important to maybe try to understand and grapple with why that might be, because Jonah's not the only person who, who's done that. Um, some of us probably have been on the run from the Lord in some ways uh, at parts of our lives. And even once we are now in the kingdom and saved, God continues to call us towards things and call us into situations and call us to be more and more like Christ in ways that might stretch us, in ways that might really be uncomfortable. And, and you know, we we always can pull a, a page from that playbook of, well, I don't want to do that, and, and I'm going to go the other direction, or I'm just going to do something differently. Uh, but God is faithful, okay, because God has called us to some things, and just because we determine that we're not going to do it, you know what, God still has the last word in that. And so we'll look at Jonah's life as an illustration of that, um, as a continuation from last week. So where we're going to go today um, is to the book of Jonah, which is uh, one of the minor prophets. So this is one where, you know, most of us, when we say, hey, let's let's turn to Amos, let's turn to Obadiah, let's turn to Jonah. We actually don't know where that is in the scripture. Uh, so it's after sort of all the books that you do know and before the Gospels, right? You get into all those little books there. So find Jonah, we're going to be dealing with the first chapter and just the first chapter today. Um, There's a lot more in store with with Jonah to to unpack than just chapter one. Um, But, you know, maybe there'll be a Jonah part three um, at some point here. But we'll deal with, with sort of Jonah on the run today. Jonah on the run. So we'll be looking at chapter one, verses one through 17. And it reads, and just bear with me, I'm going to read the whole thing, and we'll we'll pick it up. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare and went on board. To go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah meanwhile had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, come let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? and of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may, be, that, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, O Lord, we pray. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Very familiar passage, I hope, to those of us who, who are who you know been in Sunday school or or have been in the Lord for a while. Jonah and the fish. Some of us learned it as Jonah and the whale, um, but obviously, this is a, a a real character, a real Old Testament prophet um, who is chosen to respond to the call of the Lord by running in the opposite direction. And I'd like to uh, use an opening illustration, an opening story to sort of paint the the picture in terms of, of what are what's the theme that's going on here. Um, and so here here's a story. back back, you know, maybe ten, fifteen years ago, um, there are actually some some real situations similar to this where where law enforcement uh, police officers um, would be in pursuit of criminals and crooks who had done these crimes. And find them very easily, no matter, no matter how fast the criminals could run away and get away or, or you know, how, how stealthy they tried to be, you know, some, some of these cases were cracked very easily for, for a really interesting reason. So this is, this is an example, of a composite of one of those cases. Um, a young man, you know, teenager, um, who into a life of crime, getting into a life of crime, um, decided that, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being poor, I'm going to go rob. Uh, this store. I'm going to go and stick this place up, get some money. Um, and so he he made this plan to do so. Watched when there's less likely to be security guards on on the premises. Uh, planned it. He thought perfectly. Um, he targeted this this store that was right on the edge of town. Um, this young person was was very familiar with the layout. This town was right next to some wooded areas. So he said, you know what? I'll do is I'll wait till pretty late at night. Uh, where I can uh, get in there, do do the dash, and, and escape out into the woods. Um, I know these woods very well. I can give folks the slip if anybody's on my tail, um, stash the money if I need to, come back later and get it, what have you. So he had this plan that, that should work out just fine for him. And so the day comes and he waits till the evening. He goes out there. He does the stick up. He does the robbery. He runs off into the woods as it's getting dark. Um, and in in true form you know the the security shows up and, and they're looking for him um, and he's goes off deeper into the woods where it's really dark and he thinks he's super stealthy and you know he can give folks the slip um, and it just doesn't seem to be working everywhere he goes it seems like the, the police are right on his tail um, he cannot figure out you know why he can't give these folks the slip and ultimately he's caught very easily um, and as they got him in handcuffs and they're they're Willing him off to jail in the back of the police car. Uh, you know, he just says, you know, I just can't understand this. How, how is it that no matter where I went, no matter how fast I run, you guys seem like you were always like right on my tail and you could, you could find me no matter what. And, and the law enforcement officers, they just laugh um, and said, well, you know, the fatal flaw in your wonderful plan, look at your shoes. And if you remember those shoes that lit up as you took a step, there are plenty of law enforcement cases where, where that was the situation. And it seemed like no matter where he went, they could find him for obvious reasons. Every time he took a step, the shoes would light up. And his plan, I would go into the deep woods where it's extremely dark, where I could be stealthy. The, the, the darker the woods were, the more he actually stood out. So it was just easier to actually find him the, the deeper into the dark woods that he actually went. Now, I, I use this illustration, this composite of an illustration, just to say, you know what, sometimes a lot of us do come up with, you know, schemes and plans, you know, that involve us running from what we think are our problems. Um, but it seems like no matter how far we run, no matter where we go, it seems like we just can't seem to get away from it. It seems like it's just in hot pursuit. It just follows us wherever we go, and we just cannot escape it. And there's a saying that, that therapists have, um, for, for some of the folks with whom we work. Who think that they can run away from their problems, who think that they can if they just would would get away from you know this stuff that they're married to or if they could just move away from this town that that you know they've had all these problems with, you know that everything would be fine and some people actually try to do that stuff. They change their environment, they move their environment, they go here, they go far away, um, or they jettison their relationships, they get rid of them, and yet the problems still persist. And the saying that therapists have is, Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And why we say that is because sometimes the problem is actually not on the outside. Sometimes the problem is something that is endemic to the person. Sometimes the issue is you. And so we bring the issues with us no matter where we go and they play themselves out. And we're surprised that we may go from place to place, but yet and still we cannot get away from that thing that we perceive is the problem because the problem is with us we bring it with us think about the young man trying to outrun the police realizing that the problem before to his whole plan is not that the police are so brilliant i'm sure they are but the issue is it's actually something about you that's lighting up that's pointing the way everywhere you go the further you run the harder you take a step the more obvious you become the issue is you so that's true you know we cannot necessarily get away from the issues when the issues are us um, and that's true for negative stuff, but it, it also it's also very true for positive. Those aspects of us, our character who God has called us to be. God has created us in these ways, where no matter where we go, if we have difficulty with accepting the calling, with accepting, you know how how God has sort of designed us and what God has called us to, and and we just have difficulty with that for some reason, some of us choose to run away. But in running away, we kind of have to understand the God that we serve. Running away, where, where can we run where we would get away from God? God, is his love is relentless. It's in hot pursuit of us at all times. There's nowhere where we can run. But it's important to understand, though, why this is the setting, why this is the, the start and the launch of Jonah. Because Jonah, being on the run, actually has some roots that we can look back at the last, last week's sermon to maybe understand why Jonah would actually decide to run as opposed to obey God's word. So if we remember from last week, Jonah, an Old Testament prophet, was no different than any other Old Testament prophet. And what were Old Testament prophets known for in his day and the previous Old Testament prophets of of the previous years from Jonah? These were the people who God used to speak truth to the kings, truth to power. God gave them discernment so that even though things might be sort of fuzzy and, and maybe the people commonly maybe don't know the backstory, God would often tell the prophets, here's what's really going on behind the scenes your job is to go towards to the king and confront the king with the wrongdoing. And and the prophets operated uh, in this way because basically Israel at that time was under a particular covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. So if we think about it, and you look at uh, Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 24, uh, when God is establishing establishing Israel as a people, he, he has these conditions. These conditions basically boil down into two things. If you are obedient to God, God will bless you. But if you are disobedient to God, there is judgment for that. If you're obedient to God, God will bless you. But if you're disobedient to it, there is judgment. There's a cost to that. And so the Old Testament prophets were often the instruments that God would use to confront Israel and Israel's leaders about their disobedience. And when israel obeyed god blessed and when israel continued to persist with unrepentance god brought judgment as a result of that so these were this was the the role and the job of the old testament prophets speaking truth to power bringing blessings when people did good but bringing and being sort of the voice of of the warning of judgment if people persisted in their wickedness and so jonah like the other old testament prophets Saw things quite clearly, and if we remember back in 2 Kings 14, where we looked at last week, and, and for those of you who weren't here, 2 Kings chapter 14, um, Jonah actually shows up for the very first time back then, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, short passage, but it's talking about this king of Israel who comes into power and reigns for like 41 years called Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, and Jeroboam II was this king that really went down in history as one of the worst kings because he practiced idolatry. And particularly, he actually made the rich richer and the poor he took advantage of. The poor would actually end up in debtors' prisons and in slavery because of the social injustices that happened in Israel under his reign. And so these social injustices really were the problem that the prophets, there was more than just Jonah as a prophet in that time. There were other prophets like Amos Everybody was unanimous. This is wrong. This is something that God does not like. And they were, all the prophets were very clear in terms of the messages that they would bring to the king. Turn from this, repent from this. Calamity is is in store if we don't actually get this right. And the king persisted and, and did not relent. But the message that God gave Jonah to give to the king around all of these things was not hey, calamity is coming to you because of these problems. The message that Jonah was given was, you're going to actually be blessed. It was a message of grace. It was a message that actually saw this very wicked king actually expand and reclaim the territory militarily that Israel had lost over the many years. And so it was a message of blessing that God actually gave Jonah to give to the king. And, And why I think that's an important place to start to understand why Jonah might run from the Lord later. Was because I do believe that God actually develops a way of speaking with each and every one of us, which is not too dissimilar from what God was doing with Jonah. When we look at those times in our lives where we may be facing a really unusual circumstance or situation that might actually stress us out, that might cause us to have some consternation, we, we may not be very comfortable with the idea, God is actually speaking to us in some way. What is God wanting us to do? Why is God wanting us to do that? And when we looked at Jonah last week, the conclusion was, well, Jonah saw the wickedness of the king and the problems that are befalling his fellow country, countrymen because of the way that this king operated. But yet and still, even though Jonah might have wanted to tell this king, get it right, and, and you know, there's going to be judgment if you don't, God told Jonah, no, you're going to actually be the vessel that I'm going to use to bring him grace and blessing just like little kids who have to eat food that is distasteful to them. So they hold their nose in order to choke it down. This was one of those times where I would envision Jonah having to go and give a message, a positive message to a king who's clearly very wicked. And he might've had to hold his nose while he proclaimed this blessing, knowing that all these problems persist, but yet and still God is offering grace and mercy. So I do think in these times and these challenges that Jonah was looking at, and and, and maybe he wondered and wrestled with God, God, why, why are you having me bring a message of blessing to somebody who's clearly very wicked? God is saying to Jonah in some ways, even though you have the discernment, you are to be my vessel of grace amongst people who are actually in the midst of their wickedness. Not an easy thing to do especially when you see the impact of that wickedness, you're to be a a vessel of God's grace to people in the midst of their wickedness. And thank God that God makes opportunities for grace in the midst of people in the midst of their sinfulness and wickedness. He doesn't wait until we clean ourselves up and get it together. God moves first. He acts into our lives first, not when we come into the church, but when we're out there in the streets, and he finds a way to reach us somehow, and he offers us grace, so that if we take it and repent, we come into the kingdom. And so this is a very early sort of prototype of what God is clearly gonna unfold later, especially those of us who, you know, as we get into the New Testament. We know where this thing is going. Thank God for Jesus Christ, but back then, very different time. This is something quite unusual for an Old Testament prophet. So Jonah may have had some difficulty then, Understanding that God actually tends to use him in some ways that when he shows up to pronounce and and warn people, God is actually not likely and not wanting to bring about the calamity. God actually is wanting people to repent and God is actually going to try to bring about grace and blessing. Very, very different. Very different. So that when we get into chapter one of Jonah and God tells Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, and crowd against it, could Jonah have suspected, well, will the same thing happen if I go to this wicked people who I really could care a lot, could care less about, and actually I might have some feelings of animosity towards, God, if you were going to actually bring punishment and judgment, maybe I might actually go, this is Rick Williamson now reading into this. Okay, But because the way that you seem like you deal with me is you tend to bring grace at the first sign of anybody turning towards you. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I don't know if I want to see my enemies blessed in that way, and and to be used as a part of their blessing is just something that is hard for him to choke down. So Jonah, instead, understanding, you know here's this special sort of thing that God has sort of designed him and, and is using him um, in the lives of wicked people. He He's just like, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I need to not be a part of this. And he runs the other direction. And, and let us pause for a moment, because I think a lot of times we look at Jonah and say, what a foolish person. Um, but I think that's not too far removed from those of us. So some of us can relate to a bit of Jonah. Some of us, Sort of in our personality and in, in our in our style, we're we're a little bit more on that justice side. Where you know what, we're aware of all the injustices that happen, and we'll fight hard for people who've been wronged. And so we're aware that you know what, there there's a cost that should be sort of exacted when when we do wrong to vulnerable people. And so we're those justice people. We're very in touch with with that stuff, and and maybe we're not so in touch with the grace part. That even in the face of Nobody deserving, you know, anything wonderful because we're all messed up. You know what? There's an aspect of God's character that really does desire us to turn from that. And God wants to actually bless us. And God will use people and use situations to actually reach us in the midst of the worst state that we can be in and actually pull us out of that. And those are the grace people. And some people are are more calibrated on the grace side. And especially those of us who, who God has actually reached in and pulled out of the pit, those of us, we're, we're really aware of that. And wouldn't we want that for other people as well? But I do think it, it's it's sort of a, we're, we're finite people, right? And so when we see God acting in these ways, God is actually showing us aspects of his character that are true and very real. God is gracious and loving, doesn't want anybody to, to perish. He wants everybody to repent and come to him but God is also a God of justice. And so there will be recompense. There will be a a cost for those of us who persist in our wickedness. Those who actually do cause problems for folks uh, who are vulnerable. There's there's a cost to that. And and God God does not turn away from those things. God does not ignore those things. But scripture does say that God though is slow to anger. Scripture does say that he is long suffering because he wants to give us the opportunity to be able to, to turn to him. And he reaches into where we are in order to touch us and, and remind us of that. So in our finite minds, you know, we, we sort of pit justice against grace, right? This, this, we we say this, this polar duality. And some of us are sort of weighted on the side of justice like an Old Testament prophet. We see all the bad things that are happening. And you know what, people ought not to do bad things and we need to stand up for those who, who get abused but we also see people sort of weighted on the on the gray side who are like you know what but but God is love and they want to be just loving uh, loving presence in the midst of everything and in our finite minds we, we struggle with that because we we don't see them as necessarily you know holding together but truly God possesses both and somehow they they're not polar opposites but we feel that they are and God may often call us into things that are difficult and the things that typically might be difficult for us are when we seem like we're calibrated on one side of that spectrum, but God calls us to actually show up and be sort of something on the other side of that spectrum. He calls people who are justice people to actually show grace and mercy. He may call people who are really weighted in, in, in grace and mercy to somehow also hold the fact, though, that there's, there's a consequence to sin and we have to hold those things together. And that can cause us some tension and consternation. But God still calls us to that because we have to trust him in the midst of those difficulties. And I've heard some of us deal with some some people in the church, you know, deal with with that duality, that apparent duality with with things like, you know, they'll say you you do have to have both grace, you know, and you have to have justice. They'll call it truth, though. And I think we name it truth because we typically are probably more justice people. Right. So we'll say you got to have grace, but you also have to have truth. And the problems come if you try to extend just truth without any sort of grace, because just truth in the absence of grace actually yields condemnation. And and God's not come to condemn the world. He's actually come to save the world. And, and, And I believe that's true. And on the other side, they'll say, and you just can't have all grace with no truth because then that's just compromise and compromise is no good. And I would say, well, I get it. I get it, I, I would say, but but I, I think we're, we're if, if we can sort of struggle with that a bit. Um, compromise, I think, just, just has a bad word amongst Christians a lot of times. But we have to really look at, okay, but what is God actually doing? Because grace with the absence of truth is not actually compromise, I would say. I think grace in the absence of truth is what anything is with the absence of truth, and that's a lie, okay? Grace without truth is just a lie. And so... If we look at and and remember uh, how God actually holds these things together, think about Jesus when Jesus was confronted by Pharisees around the issue of divorce. And I think this is Matthew chapter 19. Um, Jesus was confronted and they said, is it is it the case that that. People can just get a divorce for any reason. And this was a test. And if you recall what, what Jesus how Jesus helped, dealt with that, Jesus started off by saying, well, here's what God's intention has always been. One man, one woman, that's marriage. But what was permitted was divorce because we are broken. We're just broken. And then that brokenness, something had to be instituted. Because in that brokenness, what would happen is you had men who would leave wives and those wives would be stuck or you'd have people who would not be able to leave and they'd be stuck in abusive situations. And this is just the result of human beings being broken, fallen people. So in order to not make a bad situation worse and not typically have the more vulnerable party, typically the woman, suffer and be locked into an abusive situation that could actually be life-threatening and dangerous. Divorce had to be a part of the equation because of just human brokenness, and that's that's God's start. So notice how Jesus handles those things. Jesus says, here is truth, here's God's intention, but here is grace because of our fallenness. And so I just put that forward before us to maybe chew on those things a bit to say that you know what? It, it's, it's not true that grace and truth are opposites. We we have to hold both. Both are attributes of God, and it takes wisdom to bring those two things together. I think often we have to be careful because what the world will do is the world will rightly see how maybe the church has, has come in with condemnation around the issue of divorce and those who who've had to go through that painful process, and, and there's just condemnation there with no grace. And, and the world might look at that and say, Okay, because of that, here, here's what here's what we conclude: that marriage must mean nothing. Marriage is just a piece of paper. And therefore, marriage doesn't mean anything, therefore, divorce doesn't mean anything either. It's just like, you know what? It's like a breakup. You know what? You you might grow to the point where you just outgrow each other and then you need to separate. And, and the world looks at it very differently. And that's not what Jesus is doing at all. Jesus is saying, No, God's intention for marriage is God's intention for marriage. It is something that we should not diminish. Absolutely. But we bring grace into the process because of human brokenness. And because of that, God still makes a way of protection and a way forward for those of us who go through those painful experiences in that painful process. There is grace in the midst of truth. The challenge is how do we reflect the multidimensionality of God and what God shows up in terms of the attributes that he presents us with, both grace, both justice, as well as truth, as well as wrath, as well as anger. How do we hold all of those things together somehow and, and manifest that to the world when we're finite, when we struggle with those things, because they seem polar opposites to us. And this is what Jonah's struggle is. How do I show up and actually represent the truth There's problems going on with these people that need to be addressed, and it really is worthy of judgment. But God is somehow using me to actually bring an offer of grace and blessing and mercy in the face of things that are very, very wrong that they are committing. That's why that's so difficult. So Jonah is faced with this, but again, I'll take us back to that old saying, wherever you run, there you are, wherever you go, there you are, especially when we have a problem, we're trying to run from something that is God's call on our life or something that is God given as a positive in our life. And we have difficulty with it. Wherever we go, there we are. And that is Jonah chapter one, because where Jonah goes, is Jonah is actually going to, he he thinks he's running from from the Lord, but Jonah's actually going to encounter another group of people before he encounters the people of Tarshish. He's gonna encounter another group of people. And that group of people are the sailors, the mariners on this ship. And and keep in mind, Jonah doesn't wanna go to Tarshish and and we might need to actually understand why that might be as well. It's not just because God is going to bring grace and you know those people actually need judgment. Yes, those people actually need judgment. And and if we if we take a look at why Tasha's people who are the Assyrians Jonah might have might feel some kind of way about them. The Assyrians were sort of the up and coming power in the region. And they actually were the threat to Israel militarily. So all of this land that Israel had had reclaimed The threat was the Assyrians could come in and take all that land back and not only were they the threat militarily to Jerusalem and to to Israel, they were actually pretty violent people, not pretty violent, extremely violent people they were known for coming up with atrocities, just to enact them to put fear in the people around them. So it's one thing to just be mean and wicked it's another thing to actually try to be creative and inventive of the horrible things that you can come up to do to people in order to instill fear in the people around you. And and that's what the Assyrians were. They would flay people. They would pull their skin off their body while they were still alive. They'd come up with these inventive ways and torturous ways in order to instill fear in the people around them. Jonah, of course, being a prophet, this is problematic to say the least. Problematic to say the least. And so there's reasons for Jonah to to not wanna go and bring messages of grace in an offer of, of grace and mercy to these people who clearly have done the most horrendous acts and and they should be judged for. He runs the opposite direction. Tarshish, as far as we can tell in, in scripture, if you do sort of a, you know, get into the commentaries, Tarshish is the 180 opposite direction than Nineveh, 180 opposite direction. It's not like he's going to Nineveh and he takes a slight U-turn and, you know, he looks up and, oh, I must have missed that turn in Albuquerque. No, it's not like that at all. He takes off in the exact opposite direction. This is willful, intentional running away. And so as a result of that process, he thinks that, well, I'm not going to be the vessel that God has called me to be, which brings grace to wicked people in the midst of their wickedness and their idolatry. And no matter where he goes, there he is. And God is actually using what God has created him to actually be. No matter where he goes he can't get away from it because he runs into these mariners these sailors at joppa and these sailors he pays his fare he gets on the boat and and they set off and they go and these mariners once things start to get dicey in the water something's not right here there's something about this storm that is threatening to not just you know be a problem and slow them down but it's threatening to break the ship up and everybody's going to perish and you know, these soldiers are actually just, you know, this is not run-of-the-mill stuff for the soldiers, because what they do in response to this is they start to dump all of the cargo, all of the things that that bring them their money. They throw that into the ocean in order to lighten the load, and yet it does nothing. The storm continues to rage and get stronger and stronger. Now they're in a place of extreme panic. And they cry out to all of their respective gods. They cast lots to figure out what's going on here. These are people who who are idolatrous. They follow other gods. They do not follow God. God, they follow other gods. And so they find this Jonah, the the one person who's not in a panic, is down in the hull of the ship, fast asleep. And so the captain wakes him up. Hey, you know what, crazy guy? hey, you need to join us here, call out to whoever God you serve, because we need all hands on board here, because we're about to die. Maybe we hit the right God, who then will give a thought to us, and maybe we can survive this thing. And so Jonah then has to come clean, because Jonah knows what's going on. Jonah says, you know what, here's the God that I actually serve, Yahweh. And actually, if you look in Jonah, um, I know in our Bibles, it it says the Lord, but the Lord is all capital letters. That's when they're actually using the name of Israel's God, Yahweh. So he names the God that he follows and he tells them, this is the God of the sea and of the land, right? And, and clearly soldiers of Joppa are not too far from Israel where they have not never heard of Yahweh. Um, and they know something about him, But but it blows their mind. You worship and serve the God of the sea and you are telling us that you're running from his presence. He's told you to do something and you're doing the exact opposite and you've gotten in a boat, how much sense does that make, right? And so they realize now Jonah is the problem. This you guy are the problem. No matter where you run, I don't know that you can run from the God of the sea and you choose as your route, the sea, right? And so they say, okay, well, clearly you're the issue. Uh, We've done all that we can do. We see that, that there's this problem here. And the solution is what? And Jonah actually tells them, well, the solution is throw me overboard and things will actually calm down and you'll be okay. Throw me overboard. Jonah's willing to sacrifice his own life so that they'll be okay. But let's not think about Jonah as being so altruistic here yet because Jonah doesn't want to go be the vessel of grace to these people. There are a couple of ways where he can actually pull that off. He can go the other direction he can die right he can give up his own life it still accomplishes the same thing and jonah is holding this stuff in such a strange way where jonah is actually willing to, to to die rather than comply and show up and be an instrument of mercy the soldiers not soldiers the the mariners at that point still in order to avoid you know blood being on their hands by them throwing this guy overboard because clearly he's going to die in this raging sea. They try all their best. Well, let's just turn around and go back to shore. But as they try to get back to shore, the wind kicks up, the storm actually gets worse and worse. So they realize they're faced with no other option, but we've got to actually throw this guy overboard in hopes that the God of the sea will actually be satisfied and spare us with this. And so they offer this prayer to, to God, which Let's think about that for a moment. Now you've got people who are idolaters who do not follow Yahweh, seeing the power of Yahweh, and now responding to Yahweh. They're offering a prayer to Yahweh. They throw Jonah overboard. And just as Jonah had said, once Jonah hits the water, divine intervention happens in the seas calm that ring a bell for any Bible scholars in terms of where we see something like that happening later on? Where somehow people are caught and trapped in a tempestuous storm and the boat is about to sink and everybody's in a panic, but somebody is asleep in the hull of the ship and they they go and they wake them up and say, don't you care that we're dying? Hey, all hands on board. And the person wakes up and, and comes up and, and gives a word. And you know what? Divine intervention and the sea just goes calm. Now, Jonah did not have the advantage of the New Testament, but clearly we're talking about Jesus, right? Jonah didn't have that advantage. Jonah only had the scriptures that he had at the time, but God is doing something in Jonah's life with this. And so as they throw Jonah overboard and as the seas calm, the mariners then become even more afraid of Yahweh, so much so that they make vows to Yahweh. So what that actually looked like and what that meant, we don't know. Scripture does not tell us. But, but I can imagine these are people who clearly have responded to God and how God has shown up in the world and in their lives. They make a vow to God. So all those other gods that they worship and they serve that, that you know what, maybe they've had experiences where those gods have sort of come through for them, they think. But but clearly there's no denying this one, that the power of God was on full display and that sits with these mariners in some way. And, and those mariners clearly are gonna have to get to Tarshish. They still have a destination. And, and if anybody was, if they all agreed that, you know what, we're just not gonna speak about this. I don't know how that happens because how do you explain showing up in Tarshish and you don't have any of the cargo, right? Because you threw that overboard and you're missing a passenger. You're missing somebody. And, and so clearly they're going to have to give an account for this situation. And I can see how, you know what, these are the guys that God is going to use to actually spread some news about Yahweh, not to Israel or to the Jews, but to the Dacians, to the Gentiles. Tarshish is the opposite direction and is far away. And if we think about New Testament, if we think about how Paul has talked about, the gospel when you think about what jesus has actually said about how the gospel will go forward it's typically it comes to israel first who will reject it and then it goes out to the nations paul says it this way it's to the jew first but then to the greeks and we see here god using jonah in a way that actually brings an awareness in uh, of god so that people respond to god first to jeroboam Israel. Then to the nations, the Mariners, the people who don't, who are not a part of Israel at all. And God is not done because Jonah's not even to Nineveh yet. So Jonah, of course, now is in the water. Okay. So Jonah is not necessarily thinking about this, but if Jonah actually had some sense uh, of the New Testament or if Jonah could actually sort of uh, somehow find the time to meditate and reflect on God's actual character and the things that, that you actually can see when you when you read the Old Testament, which is the Torah, which Jonah knew very well. When you look at what the prophets had written that come before Jonah, which Jonah had read, if he, if he only had some time to maybe think and meditate on that, what conclusions he might be able to then therefore come to about what God was doing and what God was unfolding in terms of a larger plan that he was actually being recruited into that wouldn't really come to fruition until Christ shows up, but God is giving us a foretaste. God is actually giving Jonah the opportunity to participate in what God is unfolding as a foretaste of what is to come. Where would Jonah get the time where he didn't have anything else to do, but maybe meditate on what God might have actually been doing and what have been saying in scripture? I don't know. Jonah was busy running until, I don't know, three days where he probably didn't have any place to go. So, so that 3 days that he spent in the belly of that fish was not 3 days of of him wandering and him doodling to to pass the time. Jonah was in active conversation with the Lord in the midst of that process and Jonah had to come to terms with some things in the midst of that. That that will probably be Jonah part 3 if we ever get get there. But I think where we where we might need to just stay here today though is Jonah on the run for reasons connected to God's call on his life and who God was wanting to wh- why God was wanting to use Jonah in a particular way that Jonah was very uncomfortable with because of Jonah's appreciation for the wickedness and sinfulness of the people around him and it was just hard for Jonah to actually be a vessel of grace in the midst of seeing that because Jonah was an Old Testament prophet their condition in certain ways Jonah did not call anybody other than Jonah, uh, God did not call anybody other than Jonah to do this. So this was something specifically for Jonah, which by nature probably should have been hard for Jonah to do. God's not interested in necessarily us being comfortable in the process. God is always trying to stretch us. But I do believe though, that if we if we pause and just chew on this for a bit, um, there's some real lessons and takeaways for, for us in this. Um, we all have the call of God on our lives. And I would say it this way too. We're, we're not different from Jonah in the sense that God does want to give the world a foretaste of what God is going to bring about when Jesus actually shows up on the scene. That's what, that's what was going on with Noah. I mean, with Noah, with Jonah. Jesus is still coming back. And when Jesus comes back for the second time, all things are gonna be made well and made right. That'll be a good day. But until then, we live in this weird time where you know what, we've got this hope, we've got this promise, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got each other, we've got the church. God has given us these gifts, these talents and abilities. The Holy Spirit resides with us and we are to be salt and light to this dark world. Are there times where the world in its darkness can actually see a bit of the light that God is going to establish in his fullness upon Jesus' return I think that is also a similar call that God has for us as well. And we can do a couple of things with that calling that God has for us because these are individual calls as well as collective calls. And when God has placed something in you, and and it may be to actually be a vessel of grace in the midst of people who are practicing in the midst of practicing their wickedness, it may be how do you show up in those ways where you uphold truth, but you also come with the offer of grace. And that's not always easy to do but God has called you into these realms and into these places that only you are prepared to go because God has prepared you for these things. And it does stretch you to do so, but you should embrace it, embrace it. If we learn anything from Jonah, it is don't do what Jonah did in response to the call from God. Jonah did not embrace, Jonah ran the opposite direction. And and some of us may choose to actually run the opposite direction. Some of us may choose to say, you know what God, The thing that that you're calling me to, that is just not something I'm feeling because you know what? I know this person and I know this person. If anybody deserves to be punished, is this person. And, And God may call you to actually pray for that person and actually reach out to that person. And if that is what God is doing and that creates that internal tension for you, think about Jonah. Embrace it, embrace it, embrace it, even though it's not easy. God's process of growing and developing us often comes through those tensions. If we run the other direction and refuse, just know there is no place that we can run that God cannot find us. Think of the robber who tried to escape but didn't realize that the shoes that they're wearing, the very thing that he's using to try to make his getaway is the very thing that's calling the powers to him. So don't run. But I think oftentimes, here, here's here's where we are in the church, though. It's not that we run. We also don't embrace fully. We tend to fall into this zone where we, we acknowledge, okay, God, you, you, you've called me for this. I acknowledge that you created me a certain way. I'm not going to do what the world does, which is I'm going to take the truth that you've given and I'm going to set the truth aside and and live the lie. I don't I'm not going to do that. Um, and often the world will do that. Often when we read uh, Romans chapter one verses 25 and verses 18 through 25, it, it talks about people who will take the truth of God and exchange it for a lie, and all the things that will then come forward as a result of exchanging the truth of God for a lie because we're uncomfortable with the truth. And, and part of that is, and let me not misquote it. Let me just say um, because they exchanged the truth about God for the lie, they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Which means they take their focus off of what God wants. They serve what we come up with on our own, humanity comes up with on its own, as the way, as the way to, to be and as the way to go. And, and 18 starts off with. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. So we have to maintain the truth of God. And, and so we, we we can hold on to those truths that God gives us and what God calls us into and what God tells us about who we are. And, and those things come not easily. Oftentimes, I remember we, we think, you know, how do we learn what who God has called us to be? And that's not the result of looking inward and just figuring out, okay, if I just go do a deep dive in terms of who do I think I am, somehow I come up with that. You'll always miss it if you do that because looking inward is not how you get to the truth of who God created you to be spiritually. The truth of who God created you to be spiritually is you look to God and God is going to show you through those experiences that God has taken you through in your history, even though they're difficult, even though they were probably you at your lowest, you survived somehow, God showed up, who was God in that moment for you? And you begin to see that God in his infinite infiniteness actually is either your comforter, your peace, your source of strength, whatever that is that God continually continually shows up as you look and mind the experiences of your history, particularly those more challenging ones, you will see that God has given you a sense to appreciate some things about certain attributes of him that is telling you who you are because you are able to perceive and appreciate these attributes. That is telling you a lot about who God has created you to be. And so with that identity then, we have to then understand the call of God in our life and where God will call us into even deeper waters once we embrace that, because it's not once and for all. And so often in the church, we, we try to embrace the truth of who God has called us to be. But then we struggle because maybe who God has called us to be, we haven't necessarily seen Anybody sort of operate out of those gifts or out of that call before. So we may be sort of the first. and it doesn't mean that it hasn't been done. It's just we haven't seen it. and, and I, I I equate this to those of us who who may feel a calling on our lives, but for whatever reason, because of our age, because of our gender, because of something about us culturally, we feel like, you know what that that that's gonna be hard to do. and, and there there are many. For example, there are many women who the Lord has given a word for and God wants to use, and, and they'll embrace that thing. But you know what? They have, a, they have some difficulties because maybe there's not many who come before them who, who operate out of that in a similar way. So they start to mimic the folks who they've seen, right? the guys or, or you know, the people who do it. Um, and women in ministry actually, you know, they, they give voice to this quite often. Um, and I'll use a strange analogy, but, but it'll make the point. God provides the increase, but he may use us to plant the seed. He may use us to water his fields. And of course, God provides the increase. What are we talking about? God is the one who then brings people into the kingdom. God is the one responsible for that harvest. But God may use you to plant the seed, which is the word. God may use you to edify and cultivate, that is water, his fields. God may use you in those particular ways. If God wants to use you to water his fields, and you are the garden hose, and God has created you to be the garden hose, be 100% of the garden hose. Do not mimic the watering can. But if all you've seen is watering cans used to actually edify, the temptation is, well, how do I then fit the pattern of the watering can? But if God wanted to use the watering can, there's a hundred of them. God would have used the watering can. He's called you to be the garden hose. And just because you haven't seen the garden hose used, you've got to now figure out how do you depend and lean on God then so that God can come forward and so that you can be 100% of that garden hose that God needs you to be because God doesn't need you to be the watering can. I don't know if you follow what I'm saying with this, okay? but there's some of us who truly want to embrace the call of God but because we don't see it sort of enacted in other ways, we we struggle. And so we go for sort of old paradigms that we try to make ourselves to be like the very thing that God actually is trying to call us on the scene to not be, right? To not be, to do it a different way. And those things are based on who God has created you to be. And that can be related to the things that you've been through in life where you can appreciate certain things. And that comes out in, the way that you react and you respond to people, there's a sensitivity there. It could be gender. It could be a lot of things that then God will use in order to reach certain parts of his field that only you can be used to reach, not anybody else. And so I think that's really one of the, one of the challenges that face the church today, because I think oftentimes when people are trying to then figure out and walk out their callings and their identities of the Lord, oftentimes as a church, as a collective, We'll, we'll shut those folks down. or We'll put obstacles in the way because it looks unfamiliar to us. And just because it's unfamiliar to us doesn't mean that God is not trying to do a new thing in a new day, but yet still remain consistent in terms of those old principles and those old wisdom that, it, that we can find in scripture. But God is always calling us into deeper and deeper waters as it were, which stretch us. Jonah didn't have an example of a prophet necessarily came and just offered blessings to people who were in the midst of their wickedness outside of Israel and Jews. That's just something that was a new paradigm and he struggled with that. And as a result of him struggling with it, we have an example of what not to do. But let us take Jonah for what Jonah is in terms of what it offers as Jonah at its best, which is when God has actually designed and called us to be unique And to be a vessel of grace and mercy in the midst of a world that is wicked. Because God wants the world to see a foretaste of what God is going to do when Christ comes on the scene or when Christ comes back. Embrace that. Embrace that. And if we don't have a model or a pattern for how that is done, then we're right where God wants us. Because we don't want to look to the patterns, we want to look to Okay, we got to look to what God is truly doing. we got to look to, God, how will you direct me today? God, what do you want me to say today? If we truly put our faith and our trust in God, when we don't necessarily know the lay of the land, and we just have to sort of trust God for each step, God has us right where he wants us. Very uncomfortable place to be. Very uncomfortable way to navigate things. But God is interested in us demonstrating faith and trust in him and that is how we please him. And without that, it's impossible to please God. So in takeaway from Jonah chapter two, if, if those of us who, who are hearing this know that God works with you in particular ways, know that God shows up through you in particular ways that you may be uncomfortable with, but you see that God is still accomplishing things no matter what you do and where you run, embrace that. If you find that you're very comfortable with what you've embraced, just know that God is gonna call you into deeper waters, that you're not just relying on what you think you know, but that you have to always put your faith and trust in God. The deeper waters are in store for you. And that that place of discomfort that, that we first experience as discomfort, we can then learn to understand, but that actually is the place of faith a lot of times. It's not that we're outside of God's will, that's a different experience, but that discomfort where, we're with, where, we're with, where we are within God's will, but God is actually calling us to trust him greater and deeper. That is a place where God actually wants us and God will do great things that, that we will see. Um, and we have the opportunity to participate in his kingdom in those ways. So with that, I'm gonna conclude with, with a prayer um, but if if you have the opportunity, you know, at some point, um, our pastor is going to be back next week, and so we, we we're not necessarily going to be in Jonah chapter three or part three. Uh, but I think a, a great thing to maybe ponder and study is going to be Jonah chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four, because if if you if you see in chapter one alone the similarities between Jonah and Jesus, wait till you get to chapter two, three days in the belly of a fish in the pit. Wait till you get to chapter three and chapter four. There's going to be some similarities that show that God is using this guy in some ways that truly are sort of a foretaste of what God is going to do later. And then apply that to ourselves. It it, it is a great source of meditation. Amen. Amen. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples that you give us through your word we thank you for the example of Jonah. Lord, for for the good and for the warnings that he represents. Lord, help us to, to embrace and take the callings and, and those spiritual things that you implanted in us, in our lives. Lord, help us to embrace it. Help us to put it into practice. Help us to sharpen it in one another. Lord, help us to take the step of faith, Lord, and enact it in our world. Lord, knowing, Father, that it is your will, that none should perish, but all should repent and come to you and have eternal life. Lord, and you tell us, Lord, that you did not come to condemn the world, Lord, but you came to save it through your son and his sacrifice. And just as Jonah to those mariners was a sacrifice, Lord, that brought them salvation, Help us to see, Father God, Jesus' sacrifice, not just in our lives for our salvation, but how it's available to those around us who might be in the midst of their sin, and how you desire them, Lord, and how you would recruit and use us to be a draw and an offer of grace in their lives. We thank you and praise you, Father. We ask that you go with us in our week, Lord, We ask that we can truly go into a Thanksgiving season with thanks, even in the midst of any situation that might indicate otherwise, because God, you are on the throne. We look forward, Father God, to being able to reconvene and meet again, should you so bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.